0: You're listening to the weekly Parsha podcast with Ari Goldwag, recorded with Hashem's never-ending assistance, in Rama VeShemesh fifty-seven, eighty-two, two thousand twenty-one. This week we do not have a Parsha. It's the holiday of Sukkot, and I'd like to share with you a thought on Sukkot. However, I will share with you this thought, which I came across in Maseches P'sachim. Now, P'sachim is about the ideas of Pesach, those related to Passover. However, as the Gemara in Sukkot says, we have a very deep connection between Pesach and Sukkos, both of which occur on the 15th of the month. Sukkos occurs on the 15th of the month of Tishrei, Pesach occurs on the 15th of the month of Nisan. But on a deeper level, as, as we'll soon see, there's a very deep connection between Pesach and Sukkos, and we're going to find that there's a connection between the Korban Pesach, the special sacrifice which was brought on, on Passover, and which was also initially brought when the Jewish people were about to leave Egypt. There's a connection between that and the Lulav and esrog, the palm branch, the citron, the four minim, the arba minim that we take and we shake on Sukkot. We need to understand what is this connection. and We also need to understand the special joy, the special happiness that we experience as we fulfill these commandments and what is the idea behind them. So, to understand this, I'd like to share with you something and bear with me for a moment. The Gemara talks about the fact that we have a carbon pesach. We have a sacrifice which is ordinarily brought, it's, sacri- it's slaughtered, I'm sorry, on the 14th of Nisan. And then it's eaten at the Seder. We don't have this in our Seder because we don't yet have the Beis Hamikdash, the temple. And therefore, we don't yet bring the carbon pesach. But the carbon pesach was brought and eaten. On the fourteenth and fifteenth of Nissan, so Shem next year, Pesach Hamikdash will be rebuilt before Passover. Hopefully, between now and then, we'll all be sitting and eating the carbon Pesach. Okay, on the fifteenth of Iyar, fourteenth and fifteenth of Iyar. So, if a person was not able for some reason to bring the carbon Pesach in Nissan on the scheduled day Passover, so we have something called Pesach Sheni. We have the second Passover, which is a makeup. Which is an opportunity for someone who was not able to bring it to bring the carbon pesach a month later. The Gemara wants to know: We have a very interesting idea. When it comes to the carbon pesach, there is songs we sing, Hallel, we sing a special praise of God, and when we shake the lulav, the Gemara says as well as we. If you've been in shul over the last few days, you might be aware that as we shake the lulav in the Asrig, so we are involved with. Hallel. We, we, we make the bracha right before halal. And during halal we shake our lulav and veneserik in, the, in the six directions. To the right, to the left, up, down, etc. All the directions. And we say halal. We praise God as we shake the lulav. Now the Gemara wants to know, how do you know that when you shake the karvan Pesach, if you have to do a makeup Pesach Sheni, you, you weren't able to do it by the regular Pesach, how do you know that there's halal? There's a song that we sing in the Beisam English in the Temple as we do the slaughtering of the Pesach Sheni as well. And the Gemara says a very interesting statement, which is what I want to understand. The Gemara says, listen carefully, that a person who brings a carbon Pesach Sheni, could it be that you're slaughtering the Pesach Sheni, slaughtering a carbon Pesach, the the Passover sacrifice? And could it be that you are shaking your lulav and you're not going to say hello? You're not going to praise God? You're not going to sing to God? Could that be? It must be that a person who's slaughtering their Kavim Pesach, it's a Sevar. It makes sense. It's not even something that requires much thought. doesn't even need a source from a verse, which ordinarily the Gemara tries to find. You don't need a source. It's a Sevar. It makes sense. If you're slaughtering your Kavim Pesach, your sacrifice for Passover, even if it's Pesach sheni. if you are shaking your Lulav, you got to sing, you got to say Hallel, you got to praise God. And the question, of course, is, why is it, what is the idea, what is the connection, first of all, be- between the korban Pesach and the Lulav and Esrig, the shaking of the Abamina, the four species, what is the connection between them? And why is it that they require a person to say Hallel? Why is it that it automatically must be that there is Hallel that's going to be said in this case? So, in order to understand this, so, you know, I was thinking about this, and we all know a very famous thing about the lulav and the esrug, what is the idea behind these four different species, the four different minim? You have the lulav, which is the palm branch, which is closed, it's not opened. You have the hadasim, you have the aravas, you have the esrug, these four species, these four different types of plants, one fruit, three three branches, one fruit, right? What is the idea behind them? So we know the classic idea, which is that each one represents a different part of the Jewish people. We bring them all together. We bring all the different types of Jews together. That's very nice. But the Medrash offers many different explanations for what these four items represent, what they correspond to, what they're referencing... The, the one opinion is that it references Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and Yosef, the the Shleisha Avos, the three, four bears of the Jewish people, plus Yosef. Another explanation is that it corresponds to the Imoys, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. There's many explanations of the Medrash. It's not just that only. It's not only that explanation of the different types of Jews. So what I want to understand is what is really at the core. What is really represented by these four meanings? Why Why did Hashem choose these four meanings? Why a palm branch, a willow branch, a dasim, a uh, Why Why these items? Hashem could have chosen anything. It could have been a leaf from a maple tree. It could have been the cedar of Lebanon. There, I mean, there's so many things. It could have been a branch from a cedar tree. There's so many things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu could have chosen. Why did He choose these four We're used to them because this is what we do. We've been doing this for 3,300 years or more. But I want to know, what is the idea behind it? So as I was thinking about this, I realized, you know, I really don't understand this mitzvah. I really don't know what's going on. All these years I thought I knew what was going on. I don't know what's going on. So I said, look, let's look in the metrash. That's the first place to look. You want to understand something, the metrash is going to talk. The verse tells us, it's in Vayikra, chapter 23, verse 40, that you shall take on the first day, you shall take on the first day of Hadar. you're going to take the pre Hadar, which means the fruit of a beautiful tree, which our sages tell us is the esrog, the citron, kapois uh luluv branch, hadasim, itzavois, I'm sorry, itzavois, anaf myrtle branch, Aravis. Uh, Arenacha, the willow branches. So, what is the idea behind them? There's a lot of different thoughts here in the Medrash. I'm not going to be able to, obviously, really talk about all of them, or even some of them, many of them. However, I'd like to focus in on a particular aspect of it, which we have spoken about in the past. I know, because I have marked off in in my Medrash that I, I read this. However, I'm going to add some other things that we didn't see in the past, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna connect it with a very powerful and deep idea. Okay? Before we get into the Medrash, one of the things that I, that I thought about as I'm pondering this idea, we have a connection between Nisan and Tishrei. That's what we said before. We have a connection between these two months. Nisan is the spring. So when we celebrate Pesach, Passover, Tishrei is the beginning of the winter. When we celebrate Sukkis, we go into our booths. We shake our Lulav and Eserig. We have some Torah. We celebrate with the completion of the Torah. So we're familiar with we're familiar with these two months. We're familiar with Hashanah Yom Kippur, which we just passed through the high holidays. But they're connected. And the Gemara expresses this by saying Hamishasar, Hamishasar, that there's a a connection between the two verses, that they both use the word Hamishasar, which means the fifteenth of the month. Now, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, I believe we'll it's on Yud Aleph, on page eleven, it talks about these two months. And tells us something very interesting. Nisan, the month of Pesach, the month of Passover, that is the month that the Jewish people were redeemed from Egypt. We have been slaves there for 210 years. We were redeemed in the month of Nisan. The Gemara discusses when was the world created? Was the world created in Nisan? Was the world created in Tishrei? Two different opinions. Tis gives us a resolution explaining Tishrei is the month of potential when God, Allah God thought about, created the plan, so to speak, the blueprint for creation was in Tishrei. The actualization of that blueprint was in Nisan, six months later. What does this mean? Obviously, we're talking about a time before time, God created time. I don't know what the idea here is, what is the concept, but certainly we see that Tishrei is a time of preparation. Tishrei is the beginning of the winter months, when everything is in hibernation, when the rain is coming, the rain comes, and it nourishes the earth, and we see the produce, we see the the results of that, the potential coming to actuality, in Nisan. Nisan is the spring, when all the green comes out, we see all of the fruits of the winter. Nisan is when Hashem thought about creation, I'm sorry, Tishrei is when Hashem thought about creation and Nisan is when it was brought into actualization. Says the Gemara there in Rosh Hashanah as well. Nisan is when the Jewish people were redeemed. Completely redeemed. They were brought out. Pesach. Six months earlier, there was something that set the stage for that redemption. And that was that the Shibun Malchius, the Shibun Mitzrayim, the backbreaking labor The fact that the Jews were slaves to the Egyptians, that stopped. It ended six months earlier. So they weren't free yet, they couldn't leave yet, but they were no longer enslaved already for six months prior to the Exodus. This this is important to understand. Because when I was thinking about this, so you have these two items, the carbon Pesach, the Passover sacrifice, which of course represents the the first act that the Jewish people do as a nation, the first commandment that they all have to perform and really separates them from the Ummah Sa'elam, from the nations of the world. The Nefesh Ha'chaim talks about the fact that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded the Jewish people to take a lamb and set it aside on the 10th of the month of Nisan, and then they're going to sacrifice it on the 14th. They're going to slaughter it, sacrifice it, eat it. What they were really doing was saying, there's a tina on the Jewish people. There was something that, that, there was a kitchuk. There was a, a, negative statement about the Jewish people, which was, Eloh of Devadazar, Ve Eloh of How can God save the Jewish people? They serve idolatry just like the Egyptians. They had been completely engulfed, swallowed up by the Egyptian culture. What would separate them and allow them to be redeemed? It was the carbon pesach. Because the Egyptians worshiped a ram. A lamb is a, is a baby ram. So the Jewish people taking their idol, sacrificing the idol for God, because God said so, they were expressing the fact that they were no longer going to be slaves to the Egyptians and to the Egyptian culture. But rather now they're going to be slaves to God, exclusively. They are sacrificing the the God of Egypt, and they are becoming in that way slaves of God, the one and only Hashem. Okay? So the carbon Pesach, if we think about it, as the Apostolic says, Hallelujah! this is something actually that was pointed out to me by my cousin, Shalom Goldwag, Rabbi Shalom Goldwag of Jerusalem, when I discussed this idea with him. Hallelujah! the first line of the Hallel is Hallelujah! Hallelu, Hallelu Hashem, we will praise God. Who will praise God? Those who are servants of God. The Hallel speaks about the Jewish people leaving Egypt. It speaks about the fact that who are the ones who are able to praise God who are the ones who are able to say that halal? It's those who serve God. Those who are the Avde Hashem. Those who show we are not interested in being servants to any other gods. We're not interested in being servants to any other cultures. We're not Shubid anymore. We are no longer subservient to the other cultures. We are only subservient to God. We do God's will. The end. Okay? So, it makes sense. If we want to talk about something, an act, which... Should inspire me automatically to sing Hallel, to sing about to sing about God's praises and how He redeemed us. It makes sense the carbon Pesach, but the question is, why lulav and Esrik? Why the arba Why do they require this Hallel? If we if we take this thought to its ultimate end, it's not really clear how what does the lulav and the Esrik represent, and how how does it how does it something that should automatically require, as the Gemara says, is it possible that you shake the lulav and you don't say halo? Why is it so natural that they will go together? So I was thinking, you know, it would be nice if I could find something that says that the Kroven Pesach represents the Karman Pesach just like it, it's the, the end of the Golis of Mitzrayim that's when the Jewish people are about to leave Egypt and it's their ticket to freedom. So too, somehow, the Luluv and Esrug represent the Jewish people's freedom. Their, the six months earlier, right, like we said in Tishrei, that was when the shi'ud ended, their subservience to Pharaoh and the Egyptians ended. It would be nice if the Luluv and the Esrug represented that, because if it corresponds to that, so then it's very beautiful. The Luluv and Esrug, just like the carbon Pesach, is your ticket to freedom. Lulav and Esrug also represent our ticket to freedom. Now, in looking around at the Medrash, I didn't find exactly this statement. However, I did find something which seems to imply that this idea is correct. What does the Medrash say? It says like this. And here's where we come to the Medrash. <laughs> okay, we have a Mashal. You have two people who come into a judge. If two people come into the judge, one claims his side of the argument, the other one claims his side of the argument, and then they walk out. We're watching from the outside. We we weren't inside. We don't know who won, says the Medrash. We don't know who was the victor. The guy who has in his hands, it's some kind of, uh, (laughs) it's something in his hands that represents his victory. Maybe it's a, a document that says that he won. It's not clear to me exactly what it means. But he has something in his hands that indicates that he won. That's how you know who the victor is. The Jewish people and the nations of the world come in front of God on Rosh Hashanah and each one says that they're the ones that God should find to be correct, that God should find to be victorious. As one of the unfortunately, explains, the nations of the world say about the Jews, they serve idolatry. They're not servants of God. They're servants of idolatry, just like us. They shouldn't win. So we don't know who won. We don't know. How do you know if the Jewish people came out victorious in this argument, or if they lost? What is the indication of the Jewish people's victory over the nations of the world, what indicates that they are not servants of, of idolatry, that indeed the Ummah are incorrect, it's the Lulav and the esrog. It's the fact that they're holding these special instruments, somehow Lulav, hadas, Arava, esrog, holding these four items together, somehow represents the fact that we are the victors, that we are the, we are the ones who won the court case, in front of God on Rosh Hashanah. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu says to Jewish people, "I want you to take this, uh, this lulav and because it represents the fact that you are the winners. You are indeed servants of God and not servants of idolatry." I want to read a little bit in the next piece in the Medrash also brings a verse we find that the word Netzach we just spoke about the victory of the Jewish people Netzach means victory so the word Netzach is used <coughs> the verse says I believe it's in Tehillim Kuf, Kuf Beis uh, the 102nd chapter of Psalms verse 18 Or around there the pleasant things are in your right hand for victory. What are the pleasant things? What's Ne'i <inaudible> a The Ne'i <inaudible> what's something that's pleasant? Something that's pleasant is the Lulav and the esrog. Noim. <inaudible> it's pleasant. It's beautiful. When you see something in the right hand of the Jewish people, something that's pleasant, when you see the Lulav and the esrog, you know that the Jewish people have been victorious against the nations of the world. Okay, what's the what does it mean? What does luda get to do with pleasantness? What is the idea? Neimais <inaudible> So neimais <inaudible> the word na'im <inaudible> explains. There's different explanations here, but the word na'im can come <inaudible> from the Russian no, which means to shake, which means to move, which we spoke about not long ago. Na'im <inaudible> means shaking something that's pleasant. Interestingly, I don't know exactly what the connection between pleasantness and shaking is, but when we take a lulav, we shake the lulav in the different directions, the right, the left, up and down, etc. Right, we shake it. when there's a shaking, the, the measure is understanding. In your right hand, you know that you're victorious. Still, we need to understand, what does this mean? Or what is the idea? What is the depth? Also important, I'm not going to read it inside, but there's another measure that says that these four items of Araminim, correspond to the Arba the four exiles. Let's hear what that means. Let's hear what that means. That means that when we bring these things together, the Jewish people go through challenges. They're Meshubah to the Umas Olam. So, I was thinking like, what is Hallel? What is the concept of Hallel? Hallel means that we are praising God for things being the way they're supposed to be. When the Jewish people are in a state of gullus, when we are Meshubah to the Umas when we are T- we're stuck in the, in the culture which is not our culture. A culture that pulls us down. A culture that makes us serve idolatry, heaven forbid, instead of serving God. So when we're in that culture, things are in the wrong place. When we're in that culture, who's on top? The nations of the world. But we are supposed to be the, the light unto the nations. We are the ones who are supposed to guide the nations to not just be involved in physical pursuits and not even to be involved in in spiritual pursuits the way that they might see fit. But rather... The Jewish people are supposed to lead the world in spiritual pursuits, in the proper use of the physical world, within that, in the spiritual pursuits as well, to use spiritual, the spiritual to direct the physical pursuits. The Jewish people are supposed to be the leaders of the world. That's what, what it means to be a light unto the nations. That's what it means that the Shibut Malchus ends. The The Shibut Malchus ends means the subservience to the nations of the world, to their culture, and to them being in charge, that ends. That's one stage. There's another stage though, and that's where we are not following them. But when do we get to the point where they start to follow us? They follow what we suggest based on what Kodesh God told us in the Torah, and guided us. When does that happen? So those are the two stages that we could talk about in Yetzirah it's not as openly obvious there, but in the future time, when the Messiah arrives, so that's exactly what it's going to be. The nations of the world will come to us and ask us for guidance and ask us to lead them in their spiritual pursuits. So, those are two stages, Shib and We need to get rid of the Shiba and of following their ways and we need to then lead them in a certain sense, okay? So, what is Where Where am I bringing this? What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is that the Lulav and the Esric, based on what the Magistre is saying, I understand it to mean. The Lulav and the Esric represent the first stage, the, sh- the stage where we are no longer subservient. Just like when I bring that Korban B'Sech, I show I am not interested in the the gods of the idolatries. I'm only interested in God's will. I sacrifice the idol of the Egyptians. When I... Take the Lulav and the I might not understand it. That's why I kept saying, like, I don't know what's going on exactly in the Lulav and Esrog. And there's lots of explanations. But the truth is, I don't need to know what's going on. I don't need to understand exactly why God chose these specific four items, a palm branch, a myrtle branch, a willow branch, and a, and a citron. Why, why did He cho- I don't need to know. You know why? Because whatever God says, I'm going to do it. Why? Because that's what God says. God wants me to do something. This is what's right. It represents the fact that I'm not Meshubit to the culture. I'm not Meshubit. I'm not, I'm, it doesn't matter. I'm not subservient to the culture around me. I'm not even subservient to logic in a certain sense. I do what Hashem says, whether I understand it or not. And that is essential, in, you know, in, you know in, in my service of God. That's what defines perhaps on a fundamental level what it means to serve Hashem properly. So, I think, I think that what we see here is, certainly, that the Lulav and the Esher, as the measure says explicitly, represent our Nitzachim, our success, our victory over the nations of the world who said that we serve God, that we're not serving God, we're serving idols. No, we serve God. We might not even understand this mitzvah, but we do it anyway. This is the proof. This is the victory uh, wreath you know, like the Lahavdil, the Romans had a victory wreath that they would make out of uh, different branches. These branches represent our victory over the culture that surrounds us. We're still here after 3,300 years. Through all of the Goliaths, all of the, the exiles that we've gone through, we're still here with our powerful culture, which represents the will of Hashem, as expressed in the Torah. Received on Mount Sinai, in front of them, over a million people experienced this awesome revelation. The the lulav and the esrog represent that; they represent this as well, just like the carbon pesach does. And they are of halal What greater joy? What greater simcha? It's the pesach says, When you take these the the the, the lulav and the esrog, it represents the fact that we are just servants of God. It's really simple. Walk outside. Cut down this branch, cut down that branch, get this fruit, put them together, and shake them. That is how you show simply that you are interested in Hashem's will, I'm doing God's will. That's it. I just want to do God's will. There's no greater joy. There's no greater joy. What a simcha! It's machayev hallel, hallelu, Hashem. Praise God. Those who serve God tie, tie on, tie on, keep connecting, bring yourself more into, into the service of God, bring your sacrifices on the altar. That's the one who can praise God. That's the one who can praise God, the one who is truly a servant of God, who is willing to do God's will. That's the automatic hollow, the automatic praise that just pours forth from the, the awesome joy of just being over Hashem, just doing God's will, because it's God's will, even if we don't understand it. So, I'd like to bless you, and I ask you to bless me. Hashem should help us, that we should be able to in- indeed have this intense joy. We should be able to shake the lulav, bring these together, shaking that lulav. Understand it or not, we're shaking it, and we are bringing it together, because it's God's will. Hashem should help us to do His will. And Hashem should help us to be zaycheh, that the smachtem, this joy that we experience now, should very, very soon be lefnei Hashem in the holy temple, in the base hamikdash b'mehar Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful Shabbos and a wonderful Sukkot. This podcast was made possible through the gracious donations of listeners like you. For more podcasts like this, please visit www.arigoldwag.com or search on iTunes Ari Goldwag.